see everyone this morning. I've got some coffee on my table. Sometimes these little things will distract me like that. I don't want to get coffee on my, my papers. Um, if you are a guest with us, thanks for being here today. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Bill. It's my privilege to serve as the lead pastor here at the table. We love it when new folks come to our services every week. And so if you are a guest with us today, we would love to connect with you. And the easiest way to do that is to have you text the word WELCOME to 817-755-1668. So if you don't get the number off of the screen, there is a sticker on the seat back in front of you. Um, and you, you can see the, the number there. Or after the service this morning, we actually have some um, old school. So we can do it new school or old school. We've got some actual cards that you can fill out um, at our Connection Center. And so if you do have any questions about the church at all or anything that you hear this morning, I'd love to, to just introduce myself, um, answer any questions that you have. So I'll hang out over there a little bit. Um, and so I'll be there after the service this morning. would love to, to, to meet you. It's good to see some of our students here. Obviously, Ronaldo and our team did a great job this week because we have more students here um, in the service this morning than we, we typically have. And so um, if you are a student and you're not normally in this service, know that I'm going to do the very best that I can to not put you to sleep this morning. So um, hang in there with me. We've got some fourth and fifth graders who are in the room today as well as they um, we kind of started this a couple months ago. They kind of have a special class for them uh, now, but then they come in with us on the fourth Sunday of the month to just get used to what things are like in big church a little bit. And so we're glad that, that our fourth and fifth graders are here too. So next Sunday is Serve Sunday. And so after the service this morning, we will give you an opportunity uh, to sign up to be a part of our projects next week. And so what that means is we won't have our regular service here, but we will go out to serve. And we're going to make it really easy for you to sign up this morning or really hard to leave without signing up. Depends on which way you look at it. Um, and so uh, be looking for that on the way out. Melissa will talk about the specifics of that. But those of you that are newer with us, you might be wondering, well, why do we do this? Why do we, every time there's a fifth Sunday in the month, so it happens about four times a year, we do not have worship service, but we go out to serve. Part of the reason we do it is a value that we have, it's bridge building, where we want to build bridges into the lives of people by loving and serving well. I think it's a value that comes out of what we read in Matthew 25, where there's this story about people serving other people and then Jesus saying to them, what you did for the least of these, you did it for me. And so the reality is the people that we serve and the projects that we serve in, you know, many of those people will never have the opportunity to come to our church, but that's okay. Because it's my hope that as we go out to serve, that people would know that there is a church that cares about them and loves them, and maybe God uses that at some point to do something significant in their lives. Maybe radically change their view of church. Maybe that's what leads them to faith in Jesus. Maybe we get the opportunity to lead some of those people uh, to faith in Jesus, but that's why we do what we do. Because I think we've been called as followers of Jesus to love other people well. And so I know next week... So on Sunday morning, it's going to be hot, and we're trying to do the best that we can to make our projects a little bit more palatable this time, doing them a little bit earlier and things like that. So we'll give you all the details of that, um, but be sure that you do not leave without signing up to be part of one of our projects next Sunday. And so we have something for everyone, regardless of physical, um, I don't know what to say. 
you, you're like, hey, you can lift heavy things or you cannot lift heavy things. We've got something for you, right? I don't know how to say it really nice, so I'm not going to say anything other than that. So we have something for you to do, okay? If you like the hot, you don't, you like the air conditioning, we have something for you to do. So everyone can be a part of Serve Sunday. So sign up after the service this morning. Um, get into this, this transition into the message, awkward transition into the message. You know, a question that I get from time to time is this. How did you decide to become a pastor? Or sometimes like, when did you decide to become a pastor? And I will tell you that, like, when I hear that question, I always answer it, and I'm actually going to give you the answer this morning. But when I hear it, it kind of makes me laugh on the inside. The reason being is I, I truly believe this in my heart of hearts. If it were completely up to me, I would not be doing what I'm doing. I'm going to tell you why. So I grew up, many of you know this, I grew up in a Christian family that was very active and involved in our church. In fact, my dad was our music director. So kind of think about like the things that Cody does, but yet this is a long time ago, and so our music was far more traditional. So my dad led singing in our services, typically with a piano and organ. We also had a choir, so he directed the choir as well. So because of my dad's responsibilities, we were often like the first family to be at church, the last family to leave every single Sunday, and we had to go Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and then to all other special events and services throughout the year. We could not miss, like never missed, always there. And for the most part, as a, a younger kid, it wasn't a big deal to me. But then I got into middle school. And at that point in my life, I... I I felt like my identity was in being the kid who goes to church all the time. And there are a lot of worse things that you can be known as, I think, to your peer group. But, you know, the reality is when you're in middle school or junior high school, that thing that makes you different than everybody else is the thing that you are so scared of. And so at that point in my life, I just didn't want to be known as the kid who went to church all the time. I wanted to be normal. Now, for me, normal, again, you got to understand the, the balance of things in my life. But to me, normal at that point was going to church regularly, but sitting in the back just like everybody else. I grew up in a Baptist church. You, the, the, the seats in a Baptist church fill up from the back forward. To get the last row, you got to get there really early. So I was like, man, like, I'll just sit somewhere in the back just like everybody else. I would be willing to serve from time to time, but just not like be the first one who shows up at church and the last one to leave every single Sunday. Like, I just wanted to be normal. And so that, to me, meant I would never stand on a stage like this because I had seen my dad for years, and I thought to myself, I don't ever want to do anything like that. And so that was kind of my mindset for several years. And then about the time that I was 16, I felt like God began to do something in my life. Where what I wanted for myself was I wanted to be normal. I felt like God was beginning to say, hey, I don't want you to be normal. I want you to be fully surrendered. And so it was honestly that summer between my sophomore and junior year of high school that there was a crisis of faith. And I began to wonder, like, you know, am I going to do what I want to do, which is be normal, or am I willing to say yes and 
do what I feel like God is leading me to do. And so it was actually that summer when I was at student camp that I made the decision to do what I felt like God was leading me to do. I would say yes and be fully surrendered and whatever God had for me, that's what I would do. And so that decision, when I was 16 years old, it is what led to a series of decisions that has ultimately led me to be here. But even now, today, looking back on that, it's almost, I'll just do the math real fast, like 30 years ago, I, if it were completely up to me, I do not think I would be standing here. Because a big part of me still just wants to be normal. There's the theologian and author A.W. Tozer who once said this, he said, a true and safe leader is likely one who has no desire to, to lead, but is forced into a position by the inward pressure of the Holy Spirit and the press of circumstances. If you have been around church at all, and maybe even if you haven't been around church much, it's really easy to think like of a pastor. Well, like you're called to do something. Like this is your calling that God has led you into. But I want you to know, from my perspective, I think every one of you have been called to do something. God has a purpose and a plan for your life, too. And I don't know how you think about that. I don't know how you feel about the idea of God doing something through your life to minister to other people, but it's entirely possible that you could be called to do something that you don't naturally want to do, but yet at the same time, this is exactly what you have been made for. It is possible that you've been called to do something that you don't really want to do, but in reality, it is what you have been created for. That's what I want to talk about this morning. So we are continuing our series called Deep Cuts, the stories they don't tell in Sunday school. So these are some of the Old Testament stories found in the book of Judges that we just don't talk about a lot. And this morning, we are going to talk about a reluctant leader. I'm going to look at the life of a man named Gideon. So we're actually going to talk about him this week, and then we've got Serve Sunday next week, and then the next week we're actually going to talk about another event that happens in the life of Gideon as well. So his story, the section that we're going to look at today is found in Judges chapter 6. So if you do have a Bible, I'd invite you to turn there. Judges chapter 6, starting in verse 33. We're going to look this morning at verses 33 through 40. So if you don't have a Bible to be on the screen as I read it here in just a second, or uh, if you have the YouVersion Bible app on your phone, you can navigate your way to our live event and follow along there. But this is the sign of the fleece. And if I could tell you... I'll just give away the, the, the point of the message today. Here it is, right at the beginning. I think the point of this passage of Scripture is don't be like Gideon. But it's okay if you're like Gideon. Judges chapter 6, starting in verse 33, says this, All the Midianites, Amalekites, and Ketamites gathered together, crossed over the Jordan, and camped in the Jezreel Valley. Those are all the enemies of Israel at this time. The Spirit of the Lord enveloped Gideon, and he blew the ram's horn, and the Abizarites rallied behind him. He sent messengers throughout all of Manasseh, 
who rallied behind him. So these are now the tribes of Israel. He also sent messengers throughout Asher and Zebulun and Naphtali who came to meet him. And then Gideon said to God, If you will deliver deliver Israel by my hand, as you said, I will put a wool fleece here on the threshing floor. If dew is on the fleece and all the ground is dry, I will know that you will deliver Israel by my strength, as you said. And that's what happened. When he got up early in the morning, he squeezed the fleece and wrung the dew out of it, filling a bowl with water. Gideon then said to God, don't be angry with me. Let me speak one more time. Please allow me to make one more test with this fleece. Let it remain dry and the dew be all over the ground. That night, God did as Gideon requested. Only the fleece was dry and the dew was all over the ground. A couple of weeks ago, as I began to read through this section again, looking at Gideon's story, thinking about the things that I was going to talk about this morning, I realized that Gideon's story is a lot like what we looked at last week with Deborah's story. Because I'm not sure that we tell the story right. Because I feel like when I have heard this story previously, the point is, hey, Gideon's a great leader, so be like Gideon. But I'm telling you today, I think the point is, don't be like Gideon. But when we look at this sign of the fleece section in isolation, what we see is, well, Gideon was a reluctant leader, and he just wanted to make sure that he was doing exactly what God called him to do, and so that's why he asked for a sign, and God gave him a sign, and then often it's like, hey, here's the application. If you want to know exactly what God wants you to do, ask for a sign, and God will give it to you. And so then the point is, be like Gideon. But I'm telling you, everything in the text to me screams, don't be like Gideon. But it's okay if sometimes you're like Gideon. So I'm going to talk about why we should not be like Gideon. So if you haven't been with us in this series, this happens during the period that we know as the period of the Judges in the Old Testament. So at this point, the book of Judges describes it this way, that everyone did what was right in their own eyes because Israel did not have a central leader. So before they had a king, after the time that they were led by people like Moses and then Joshua. And really, the tribes of Israel, there's 12 tribes that make up the nation of Israel. Most of the tribes function relatively independently at this point. So this period of time is known when the people would fall away from God, they would begin to worship other gods. As a result of that, God would allow other people groups in the region to oppress the people of Israel for a period of time, and then they would cry out to God, he would hear their prayers, and then he would raise up a leader or a judge who would then deliver the people of Israel. In this case, the oppressors are the Midianites, and the leader who God had raised up was Gideon. So why should we not be like Gideon and ask for a sign? We shouldn't be like Gideon because Gideon knew exactly what God wanted him to do because God had already told him. This was not an issue where Gideon needed to know for sure what God had told him to do because God had already told him exactly what he wanted him to do. We actually read about the call of Gideon at the beginning of the chapter, and at the beginning of of chapter 6. And what we find is that the Midianites had been oppressing Israel for seven years. 
In fact, it was so bad that many of the Israelites actually moved up into the hills and lived in caves and hid. In fact, they would often uh, harvest their grain in these caves because if they did it out where other people could see them, the Midianites would just come by and steal all their crops and be like, hey, you guys did all the work. Thanks for that. And they took everything. And so it was likely in one of those caves where Gideon is threshing wheat and the angel of the Lord shows up to Gideon. And the angel of the Lord says to Gideon, the Lord is with you. And I love Gideon's authenticity at this point. That's my paraphrase. If you go back and read it, it's not actually in the text. But he says, yeah, right. Because if God were with us, then why is all this bad stuff happening? The Lord kind of disregards that and he says, Gideon, go in the strength that you have and deliver the people from Midian because I am sending you. Gideon knew exactly what God wanted him to do because God had told him. He knew his role. He was to be the deliverer of the people of Israel. So understand, this was not a vision that had symbols that he had to interpret. Maybe he could get it wrong. This was not a dream that he had at night where he could have thought, well, maybe I just had some bad pizza the night before or something. This was the voice of God saying, Gideon, here's exactly what you're to do. You're to go and deliver the people of Israel from Midian. Not only did Gideon know exactly what he was supposed to do because God had told him, but he knew that he had been gifted to be able to do exactly what God had told him to do. When the angel of the Lord showed up, I think this is in verse, uh, verse 12, he called Gideon a valiant warrior. This was his identity. This is who he was. Now, at this point in his life, he had yet to live it out, but this is who Gideon was, prophesied, in essence, over him by God. This is who you are. This is what you were supposed to do. God had uniquely gifted him to do what he had told him that he was going to do. Not only that, but even in the section that we read this morning, we read that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit enveloped Gideon. We actually read things like this uh, throughout Scripture. We read it in the New Testament of believers that we are to stay in step with the Spirit or be filled by the Spirit. And what that means is that as we allow the Spirit to work in our lives, we get better and better at reflecting the character of God in everything that we do. We actually read this kind of a lot in the Old Testament, too, especially in the book of Judges. It's slightly different in the Old Testament and the New Testament, because in the Old Testament, it's not so much like be filled with the Spirit or be controlled with the Spirit so that you do spiritual things, as much as it is you are controlled by the Spirit or filled with the Spirit to be able to do something specifically that God is leading you to do. And so at this point in Gideon's life, the Spirit as it says in, the, in our text, envelops Gideon. So now he knows it's the Holy Spirit is on him so that he can do exactly what God calls him to do. So we should not be like Gideon. Gideon knew exactly what God wanted him to do because he had told him. He had this identity of valiant warrior. This was who God had made him to be. Then we see this gifting that he has. The Spirit now comes on him so that he can do exactly what God called him to do. And then we even see the results of his leadership. 
Because we read that Gideon blows the ram's horn. This is like a, the mustering of the troops. And then all of a sudden what we see is the Abizarites rally behind him. And then the tribe of Manasseh comes, and then Asher, and Zebulun, and Naphtali. And so all of these people come out. They didn't have to. Just because he blew the horn, like people didn't have to show up. There's no central leader. Gideon is not the central leader, but the people are recognizing Gideon's leadership, and they're beginning to follow what he says. So by the time that we get to this sign of the fleece, there are very few questions that need to be answered. In Gideon's mind, he knew exactly what God had called him to do, because God had already told him. He had this identity, he knew his gifting, and now his leadership is actually making a difference because people are showing up. He didn't need to know exactly what God wanted him to do. He was just looking for an excuse to get out of what God wanted him to do. It would make sense to me. If at some point, as he started out on this leadership journey, if something didn't quite work, like if people didn't show up, then all of a sudden it's like, hey, Gideon, ask for a sign, make sure you didn't get it wrong. But the reality is everything is working according to God's plan, and you can see it, and so there is no more question about what God wanted Gideon to do. He knew exactly what it was. So don't be like Gideon. Number two, the reason that we should not be like Gideon is because Gideon's this fleecing, it wasn't rooted in faith or assurance, but it was rooted in pagan worship. Now, typically, the way that the story is told is Gideon is this reluctant leader. He wants to do exactly what God wants him to do, and so he just wants to make sure that this is exactly what God wants him to do, and so that's why he creates this sign of the fleece. But it is not rooted in assurance or worship. It's actually rooted in pagan worship. So pagan worship being the worship of false gods. Asking for a sign from the gods was actually something that was far more common in that pagan worship than it was in the worship of the one true God. When you wanted God's blessing on your life, you didn't ask for a sign, you offered a sacrifice. And so Gideon is not looking for assurance that this is what God wants him to do. He's looking for an excuse to get out of what he knows God wants him to do. And so he creates a sign. He says, God, I'll know exactly what you want me to do if I lay out this fleece, and if the fleece is wet and then the ground is dry, then I'll know that this is what I'm actually supposed to do. And so God does it. He wakes up in the morning, the fleece is wet, the ground is dry. I don't know if Gideon thought this way for sure. Sure seems to me like that, this would be the case, but he thought to himself, I made this too easy. Because this could be something that happens naturally. You know, a fleece be more absorbent than the ground around it, so it could suck the moisture out of the ground. That's why it becomes wet. And so he thinks to himself, I need to make this hard. If I'm going to get out of this, let's do it the other way. Then the fleece is dry and the ground is wet. And I can imagine at this point, God is shaking his head. Like, why do you keep asking me what you're supposed to do? You know what you're supposed to do. But God is gracious, and he does it anyway. I want you to know the point of this fleecing is not, if you want to know what God wants you to do, ask God and he'll give you a sign. The point is, God is gracious to his people. And in spite of our doubts and our fears, when we are unfaithful to him, he is faithful to us. The point of the story is, 
Don't be like Gideon. It's okay if you're sometimes like Gideon. Because sometimes we are called to do things that naturally we may not want to do, but in reality it is exactly what we are made for. So I'm going to tell you how to not be like Gideon. First, understand your role and live it out. Understand your role and live it out. So you might be thinking, well, what is my role? I, I don't have the experience like Gideon where God said, you are going to deliver the people of Israel from Midian. So what is our role? Well, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, at the broadest level, our role, our calling is to point people back to Jesus. It's what we read in the Great Commission, Matthew 28, go make disciples. It's in what Jesus said to Peter when he became a disciple, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. It's what we read in Acts 1.8 where Jesus said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. So at its broadest level, those of us who are followers of Jesus, our call, what our role is, is to be used by God to point other people back to Jesus. We do that in how we live, but we also do it in the words that we share. And we may not always want to do that, but yet at the same time, I believe this is exactly what we've been made for. So know your role, live it out. Number two, understand, know that you have been equipped and gifted, so use it. You've been equipped and gifted by God, so use the things that you have. I want you to know you've been created for a purpose. So your personality, your abilities, the things that you have, all of those things God has uniquely given to you for the purpose of you being used by God to make a difference in the life of someone else. Nothing happens by accident. God wants to use all that we have to make a difference in the lives of other people. But I was asked, like, what I think now was just a fascinating question that's been reverberating in my mind for the last several weeks. The question was this. What if you're introverted? And I started to think about that. And I think what is behind that question is oftentimes when we talk about what the ideal Christian looks like, it can be perceived as if the ideal Christian is one who is outgoing, willing to talk to anyone and everyone, and who is always the life of the party. And so when we present it like that, then people say, well, that's not who I am, so how can I be used by God to do anything? And I understand it. The reason? I'm introverted too. If we have ever had an awkward interaction on Sunday morning, the reason is I have like six questions in the back of my mind. If I go through all six, I'm kind of done. And that's not because I don't like you. It's just that's who God has made me to be. And I do feel like oftentimes in the church, the ideal pastor is the life of the party, the one who's best friends with everyone. And sometimes I think to myself, but that's not who I am. Listen, God can use introverts too. He has made us who we are so that he can take what we have and use it to make a difference in the life of somebody else. In addition to 
our personalities, our wiring, the, the natural abilities that we have. Again, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, we have what are referred to as spiritual gifts. A spiritual gift is a gift given to us by the Holy Spirit, the moment of salvation that we are to use to build up the church. It's things like service, mercy, compassion, giving, evangelism. There are all kinds of, the way I look at them, categories of gifts that we have. And those things God has given to us specifically for the purpose of building up the church. Now, I want to be super practical this morning. I'm going to give you a couple of things to do. The first thing I want you to do is this. I want you to be thinking about who in your life God has uniquely given you the opportunity to reach. So who is that person that God has placed in your life, in your sphere of relationships that you already have, that you have the unique opportunity to point to Jesus in some way? So it could be somebody that you work with. It could be somebody in your family. Maybe somebody in your, your neighborhood. Identify that person, and I want you to begin praying for them every single day by name. Be praying for them, and then see what God does. Second thing is this. If you would say that the table is your church, and you are not serving somewhere, know that for us, collectively, to do what God has called us to do, then we need your gifts being used here. So oftentimes I, I get this from people like, hey, I'd be glad to do anything. You just tell me what you need me to do. Okay, so if you are that person, if you've ever said that to me if you, or if you've ever said that in your head, here's what I want you to do right now. I want you to email me, billsatthetablecc.com. And I'm not kidding. You can do it right now. Take out your phone, send me an email. You don't have to pay attention in the next five minutes, okay? And it will be done. Email me and say, hey, Bill, I'm one of those people. I want to serve just tell me where. And this week, I'll tell you where. Why? Because that's the way that the church is designed, that all of us do our part so that collectively we can do what God has called us to do as we seek to make a difference in this community and point people back to Jesus. Don't be like Gideon. Know your role. Live it out. Understand that you have been gifted to do what God has called you to do. Number three, believe that you'll be successful because he promised it. We can't ever be like Gideon looking for excuses to get out of what God has called us to do. Success is not based on us. We are not alone in this. Matthew 28, the Great Commission, at the very end of that, Jesus said, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. Acts 1.8, before Jesus said, you will be my witnesses, he said, the Holy Spirit will come on you with power and you will be my witnesses. It is not up to us. Success is not up to us. We are successful because of the presence of the Spirit or the, the presence of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit at work through us. It's not about us. It is about us being willing to do what God has called us to do. So I think here's the point of the story. Don't be like Gideon. But sometimes it's okay if you're like Gideon because we do have a tendency to become afraid. We might doubt, but in those moments we find that the graciousness of God pushes into our lives so that that thing that we don't naturally want to do, we are compelled by the power of the Spirit 
to do. And God still uses us in the same way that he used Gideon. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thanks for the story of Gideon. And God, I pray that while we have doubts and fears and all of the different things, God, help us to understand who you've created us to be. That you've called us to do something that naturally we may not want to do, but yet we recognize it is what you have made us for. And so, God, I pray that you would help us to see the, the people that you've placed in our lives that we can, that we have the unique opportunity to point back to you, that you would give us the courage to step into those relationships and have a conversation. God, that you would help us to live our lives differently so that people see something different in us and they ask why, and then we can give a reason for the hope that we have. Thanks for using flawed and broken people because we know that you can use us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray.